And you are live here at the stage here at WTJU, and we've got a special treat for you. Tony Trishka is in Charlottesville in Central Virginia for a concert and was kind enough to stop by. Tony, how are you? I'm great, Peter. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me here. Thrilled to get you back. It's been eight years. A little thing called COVID has gotten in the way in the past uh, for the last year or two. So we're thrilled to get you here. And gosh, there's so much I want to talk with you about, but how about you start with one for us? Okay, I'm going to do a medley in detuning of three tunes, John Henry, The Steel Driving Man, and uh, Bonaparte's Retreat, and finishing off with a tune that I wrote that doesn't really have a title yet, so it's going to be called The Charlottesville Breakdown for right now.
live right here on WTJU, the sounds of Tony Trishka closing out with the Charlottesville breakdown for today, anyhow. And Tony, well, first of all, welcome back to Charlottesville, as I said. And I just want to, for those who don't know your background, you know, nowadays, of course, all these young buckaroos are starting banjo from all over the place. But when you started back in Syracuse, New York, there weren't a lot of young folks from that part of the world picking up a banjo. Is that right? I mean, I can't think of any at that time. Uh, not really. I started playing in 1963, um, and it was, it was sort of the tail end of the folk boom, and I was way into all that stuff. Uh, I was playing folk guitar at that point. I started with flute, which I wish I'd kept playing because it's much lighter than a banjo and fits nicely <laughs> in the overhead compartment. But anyway, went to piano, guitar, and was into all the folk music stuff, got into the Kingston Trio, uh, it was a really big group. They started around 1957, and uh, it was through a song of theirs called the MTA that um, I heard their banjo player, Dave Gard, play uh, the banjo break on that. It just totally enraptured me, and I decided at that exact moment, I've got to play the banjo. <clears throat> and uh, there weren't really too many. There were a couple of people that played the banjo in my area, but not younger folks. I was 14 at the time. And uh, so anyway, so... Was your local record store one that would have like bluegrass and such besides the folk music? Or they, yeah, they did. I mean, they had really everything. And I, someone once I started doing this finger picking thing, uh, I talked to someone. Well, we're going to hear more of this. And they said, Well, you got to listen to a guy named Earl Scruggs. I went, Oh, okay, and went down and bought uh, "Folk Songs of Our Land" by Flat and Scruggs because the bluegrass folks were trying to get into folk music. And uh, the Stanley Brothers had, a, had a, something called Bluegrass Hootenanny and, again, Folk Songs of Our Land by Flatten Scroggs, and they did This Land is Your Land. So they were trying to cash in on that whole thing. Uh, so I, I was able to pick up on some of the bluegrass. Well, I, I remember folks like Folkways were bringing the Southern acts up to play in New York City. Right. And, you know, of course, you mentioned the Stanley Brothers. They brought up Bill Monroe and others yep. to uh, give the New Yorkers a chance to hear that kind of music and, of course, give exposure to... The musicians as well, but I've heard rumors when you really started to play out at the festivals that you were one of the, they didn't know what to do with you, <laughs> and those, so they put you in the late night slots, and so everyone who was hip knew that Tony Trish was coming up late at night, and to make sure you had enough energy to stay up for, for that cat. Well, I, I went to the very first bluegrass festival ever, three-day bluegrass festival ever in uh, Fincastle, Virginia. Right. Near Ro they called it the Roanoke Festival. And I entered the banjo contest there, and I played a tune called Nine Pound Hammer, traditional bluegrassy kind of tune. And uh, the judges were Ralph Stanley, Bill Emerson, and Lamar Greer. Lamar Greer, David Greer's dad, was he was playing with Bill Monroe, banjo with Bill Monroe. And uh, right in the middle of, it, middle of it, I played these sort of fake Middle Eastern modes. And I can only picture Ralph Stanley kind of shaking his head, like, what is, <laughs> anyway, we lost, I lost badly. And yes, at festivals in the early 70s, we, we would do an afternoon set acoustically and an evening set with, uh, I would play steel guitar and banjo, and we had drums, and, and uh, all the folks in their lawn chairs would head to the campers, and the motorcycle gangs would come up to the front. And so it was an interesting time. I was with a group called Breakfast Special at that time. So, Well, how, how are you welcome? I mean, uh, you've always been so encouraging. The last time you were, came through town, you... Your band, you've called Territory in the past, and you bring in these young pickers with you. Yeah. And what was it like when you were coming up? Were, were you getting support from those older, more you know, the more established, the the southern musicians who had been playing that real traditional stuff? Uh, I didn't have that much contact with them, to be honest with you. Uh, 
Earl Scruggs was very, I got, um, I think I first met him probably in the, in 74, 75, and he was, he was much uh, more open to that sort of thing. Over the years, though, they've been very supportive, maybe not quite at that time, but, you know, he got very friendly with Sonny Osborne, who we, who we were talking about had just passed, yeah, just so. passed in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, Sonny, of course, you know, was his own maverick, but still was accepted you know, plugging the banjo in and all. And then Bill Emerson as well. So getting a chance to meet those musicians, those banjo players in those days, what, what was it? You said they were very welcoming, but what, what was it like to see them as a young guy? Oh, it was, it was unbelievable. Again, at that very first festival in 65 in, in Fincastle, Virginia, um, I remember Bill Minner walking over the hill I'd seen him at the Newport Folk Festival in 63, actually, when I was able to go to that and see Mississippi John Hurt and Doc Boggs and just these people that now I'm going, oh, my God, I actually got to see all those people, Skip James, people like that, who were rediscovered after their recordings in the 20s and 30s. But anyway, I remember Bill Monroe walking over the hill and going over to the refreshment stand saying, I'll have a Coca-Cola. <laughs> First thing is I remember him saying, not Coca-Cola, but Coca-Cola. And but see, there's Bill Monroe, and he's just kind of hanging out. And Don Reno, the same thing, Red Smiley. The Stanley Brothers, they were all there with that first festival. Jimmy Martin. And it was really incredible, just all in one place at one time, all of our heroes just standing there. And uh, you could go up and talk to them. And it was really amazing. Well, Mike Marshall was telling me a year or so back that uh, when he was starting out, you know, he, he and all the other teenagers would show up at these little camps in Georgia or wherever, and yeah. they'd get a chance. And they all kind of came up together. But I, I, I don't know when you met. Um, Bruce Molsky, you know, because he's another Northeast boy. But and of yep. course, the two of you got a great relationship now. Yep. But did, did you run into Bruce at all? And though back in the seventies and eighties, or no, I, I can't remember exactly when it was. It was definitely later than that. Okay, maybe probably in the nineties, sometime. Yeah, uh, when he started playing full time. So yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he wasn't even well, he wasn't playing professionally back right. then. Um, but yeah, I, I've always had a love for old time music. I saw the New Lost City Ramblers again in 1964 at this coffee house in, in Syracuse, New York, and, and fell in love with that kind of music back then. And you know, over the years, there's, there's been this mutual suspicion between old-time musicians and bluegrass musicians. But um, I've always loved you know playing with old-time players like Bob Carlin and, and Bruce, of course, and many others, the Canote Brothers up in, I think they were in Ithaca at the time, yeah. various people like that. Well, those just uh, tuning in. We've got Tony Trishka with us, three-time Grammy nominee. And, of course, he's got a great new album out. came out at the start of the year, shall we hope. And I want to talk with you about that, but how about we get another one from you? Okay, that'd be great, Peter. Let me just get in tune for them. The tunes I've chosen to play today are in different tunings, which keeps it interesting. But um, this may take another 20 minutes. Just hold on. Just It's worth it. Talk amongst yourselves. And of course, Tony's part of the the group that oversees the Steve Martin and Excellence Prize as well, and they, they just gave out to two well worth worthy winners of that. And you can find out more about that by just Googling or heading over to TonyTrishka.com. And I think Don Vappi was one of them, and I'm trying to remember the other ones. Alan name. Mundy. Alan Mundy, of course. Why does he deserve it? Yeah, both of them. Two very different styles, but it was, what a treat it was to see those two. And, of course, the last single uh, winner of that was my young friend, Victor Furtado. Wonderful, wonderful player. Things, yeah. I've worked with him a little bit at the Berkeley College of Music. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny, I was talking to Don Vappi 
the day he, that he won the award, and I'm talking to him, and he said, you know, Tony, I just got this check for Alan. And I went, <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't tell you, but yes, you were one of the winners, but someone had switched, they sent right. the wrong checks to the wrong people, yeah. so... Just point out, Victor's got a very talented banjo sister as well, Gina Furtado, who's out there doing her own thing. So, very talented family, the Furtados. Indeed. All right, this is a tune that I recorded on the most second to most recent album called Great Big World. And I got Abigail Washburn to sing a short vocal thing on this, but um, this is without Abby because she's not here. But it's called Lost. Here at WTJU, the sounds of Tony Trishka. And you can find out more about Tony over at tonytrishka.com. And Tony, I mentioned before you played that that you have got an album that came out earlier this year, Shall We Hope? And it's got 
uh, it's one of those albums where instead of just listening to an individual tune, I think it's, and I'm assuming you agree, it's one of those that where you want to listen from start to finish. Yeah, not that people have that much time to do something like that in this day and age, but it was intended to be that. It, it tells a story uh, of three different characters that kind of combine as the song goes on, or as the, I should say, as the album goes on. So yeah, it is intended to be that. Uh, it tells a story of the Civil War, uh, although it bounces back and forth between 1938 and, yeah, kind of mid-1800s and then into Gettysburg in 1863. Yep. Well... When you look back at your first release and this latest one, you know, I, you know, of course, after playing out since the mid '60s, I, what do you find to challenge yourself? I'm curious because you, you've done, if you, you go through your library and it's so amazing, but what what do you look for personally when you set out to record something? Well, that album, shall we hope. Uh, it wasn't intent. I, w- I didn't have a plan to begin with. I just had written a couple of songs uh, on the previous album. It's mostly songs. It's not instrumentals. Right. There's one march on there with a whole marching band on it, yeah. but uh, it's almost all vocals. And I've, I've got some amazing singers on there. But anyway, um, I, I had written a song. Decided I'm going to write a song about uh, a riverboat gambler, you know, in the 1800s, and yeah. wrote that, and then wrote another tune, sort of dating from that time, and thought, no, oh, this could become something, and I started getting this concept and put it together. And uh, after 12 years in the process of writing, and not that long recording, but it took about 12 years for the whole thing to come to fruition, and it finally became what it is today. Well, writing a song versus writing a tune, I mean, an entirely different part of the brain for you, or because you've been doing this long enough where you were able to make the two meld? Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny, I, it's funny, you're asking me questions about, like, songwriting and that sort of thing, and I, I don't consider myself a songwriter, even though I wrote all these songs on this album, and I did an interview for Songwriter magazine, and they started asking mm-hmm. me these questions, and like, uh, ask me anything about the banjo, I can go on for hours songwriting, I don't know, I just sort of did it. Uh, I've, I've written a lot of, uh, liner notes and written banjo instruction books, and Oprah apparently has optioned one of them, which is really exciting for mm-hmm. a book of them. No, never mind, that's not true. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, no, but I've, I have written a lot, and so I like words, and I'm, you know, in my tortured teenage years, I wrote tortured poems, so, you know, I, and, and I've written, uh, during the protest era, when I was like 12 and 13, I'd written some protest songs, of all things, uh, but, uh, so I wasn't totally alien to the genre. Uh, it, it, it is a different part of the brain, and it, it takes so long to get it just right, to, like, to get the right words in the right place. But I guess that's true of tunes also. You know, I mean, it's your own personal aesthetic. You know when you have what you want. I'm working on a new tune today. I was working on it today, actually, and tweaking it. And, okay, that doesn't work, but this could work. So, But it's, it's, it's similar in certain ways anyway. And, of course, you, over the decades, you've you know, certainly influenced so many from a young Bela to folks like Noam Pekelny, Ben Krakauer, and the list goes on. Of course, you know, Steve Martin, you've you produced one of his albums. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I imagine working with young artists, uh, folks, you know, Steve's age, you know, it, it allows you to, whether it's his album or when you did the, the, the double banjo spectacular album. Right. When, when you're writing for two banjos, mm. what's that like? Um, some, of the, some of them were just written for one banjo, and then uh, I would add the other instrument on there. Some were 
uh, co-written, Bela and I co-wrote a song called The Ivory Toad of Catalan uh, that I had a section and he had a section. Uh, I mean, we had these tunes kind of lying around, not, not to compare ourselves with the Beatles, but it's sort of like a day in the life where John had the first part of it and then Paul had this thing. He woke up, got out of bed, and they just put it together. So Bela and I kind of did that. Uh, without all the riches that the Beatles got, but anyway, um, and put that song together, for instance. So some, there was some intention, intentionality of trying to have a double banjo thing, but other times it was just I'd written a tune, and what would it sound like with another banjo? And I usually was the one that had to do the hard work of adding the harmony part. So, uh, and in fact, I did a tune with Bill Emerson on there, which uh, I'm so glad I got to do since he passed again over the last few months. Absolutely. And... I've talked about Bale and others, but in terms of other musicians, I know you've sometimes, psychographs will get together and do something special together. And again, uh, you know, folks who were not part of the, the, the norm, whether it's Daryl and Mike or Todd and David Greer, you know, they, it's, it, it's wonderful to see those, those, all those folks come together. And I'm sure you were listening to Grisman and such throughout the 70s, even though he had no banjo on a regular basis. Yeah, I noticed that. Um, yeah, I always uh, kind of wondered. David yeah. likes the He loves the banjo. No, no, I know. Yeah. Uh, I actually got to know David. I met him in 64, I want to say, for the first time. I went to see Red Allen playing in Pennsylvania. Uh, I think it was 64, maybe early 65, and he was, he was playing with Red Allen. David was. And David had just put out two singles on an album, uh, on a, a label that he had put together himself, one with Frank Wakefield and another one with the New York Ramblers, which was a band that David put together. So I went to see David, and I was one of nine people that ordered the single. It was mm-hmm. an ad to sing out for it, and I was a big Frank Wakefield fan, so I ordered these singles. And so uh, I went to this Red Allen show and met David there, and I said, oh, I'm Tony Trischke. He said, oh, you're that guy with that weird name. I'm, you're the one of the nine people that ordered that single. <laughs> and that's when I first met him, and we've been friendly ever since. So, yeah, but I was definitely following uh, what David was doing, we, there was sort of this New York sound that was a little bit wild and woolly. Uh, in the again, this band Breakfast Special, I was from '73 to '75, with Andy Statman, right. Kenny Kosek, and Stacy Phillips, and we were just sort of going for broke and just weren't the smoothest folks out there, but trying stuff. And then there was the California sound with with the quintet with David and uh, Tony Rice, and they were you know slicker and smoother in a really good way of course and then there was the nashville crew with bela and jerry douglas and uh stuart duncan and you know mark o'connor perhaps at that time so there are these sort of these different schools that were operating and then over the years we've all sort of melded and blended together in different ways well i I want to talk about some of those folks in your work including with andy stepman back in the 70s but how about we get another one from you sure this is a, a tune that i Learned from a recording of Pete Seegers, who is today one of my still one of my big heroes, and um, he put out an album in 1955 called "The Goofing Off Suite," which were he'd uh, bought some land just south of Beacon, New York, with his wife Toshi, and um, while the uh, house was being built. Uh, he was hanging out in a, in a hammock and re- messing around with banjo th- tunes, and those tunes became the Goofing Off Suite. And this is a tune that he played. I'm going to play it just about note for note the way he played it back then, as close as I could get to what Pete did, because he was so far ahead of his time, in addition to everything else that he did. He was an amazing banjo player. 
And uh, this is his arrangement of Irving Berlin's Blue Skies. Trishka there doing his rendition of Pete Seeger's rendition of Blue Skies. And you are listening to Tony Trishka live here at the stage at WTJU. And Tony, before that, we were, I mentioned Bela Fleck and others. And last time I got to see you with Bela, in a way, was also with Sierra Hall when you were doing something for Artist Works. And I know that you're, you've been with Artist Works. And can you tell us a little bit about that and what Artist Works does and what, what you do with them? Sure. Um, Artist Works has these online schools. Uh, they've got bluegrass. They've got um, with just all sorts of folks like uh, Daryl Anger and Mike Marshall, the aforementioned, and uh, uh, Brian Sutton and uh, myself. And uh, now Sierra Hull has a school there, as does uh, Chris Eldridge, Critter. Uh, so there's a really strong bluegrass component there. And Noam Pekelny also. Has, we, there are two banjo schools there, me and Noam. And there's a jazz, uh, jazz component and a rock component and a classical component. And what they have, it's their online schools were all under the umbrella uh, of artist works. But what, the main thing that they have that other schools don't have is people can send in videos and they go into a queue and we, re we respond to them. So you can have this, at least from in cyberspace, a one-to-one -one relationship with these students. And it's, it's, you, you, you create this wonderful community. We have wonderful folks on, I'll speak for myself on, on, our, on my site. And uh, there are over 300 lessons from absolute beginning, here's how you hold a banjo, uh, going gradually up to, you know, Bela things and Nobikelny things and some of my own crazy stuff. 
Uh, and there are over 50 interviews there with Steve Martin and uh, Alison Brown and B.B. Bowness from Mile 12 and J.D. Crow and Alan Mundy, Bill Emerson, Sonny Osborne, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, so it's, uh, it's just a, a banjo world that you yeah. know, I've created through the auspices of, of um, artist work. So that's, in a nutshell, what's going on there. Of course, folks, and find out more about that at artistworks.com or also if you go to tonytrishka.com. Right. And I see you've got two banjos with you today, but you know the inevitable question for every <laughs> banjo player is, how many do you have? Um, I have last count, and it might be another 20 since then, but no, this was a few months ago. I, I've got like 17, I think. And I play them all simultaneously, but... Um, of course. <laughs> yes. No, it's, it's, uh, you just start accumulating them over the years. And different banjos do different things. What I've been playing is uh, this during... It's my signature model Deering. Uh, this is called the Golden Clipper, and there's a Silver Clipper, but anyway. Um, and what I'm about to play here, if I have time for another song, Absolutely. is a, this is a gold tone banjo that Bela Fleck developed. And uh, Pete Seeger uh, had a long neck banjo that was tuned down to E because it suited his singing better, and he actually had a regular banjo and had uh, this guitar maker chop off the neck, add three frets, and put the rest of the thing back on. Uh, but now you can just tune a regular banjo down to E, which is what John Hartford did. He played a lot out of low E, just a regular banjo with thicker strings. Um, but people like to go low, so Bela, uh, when he goes low, he goes low by creating this uh, baritone banjo. This is tuned to a C chord and has a funkier sound. And I also have a, a um, cello banjo, which is tuned down to a low G, an, G an octave below a regular banjo so but it's really fun to play on these this is called the missing link the the, the banjo is called that and again Bela developed it it's got a beautiful inlay pattern on it and um, I just got addicted to this thing I got it just before the pandemic and wrote you know seven or eight tunes on it so I thought maybe I'd play one right now for that'd you that'd be great I named this after our dog Django it's called Django's Dream and my wife said, you know, I just had written the tune and my wife said, you know, you should have a Django Reinhardt lick in there. And I said, nah, it's not going to fit the nature of the tune, but my wife's much smarter than I am. And I try to, you know, transcribe some Django lick and put it in the beginning. And so anyway, you be the judge.
Tony Jerska, live here at the stage at WTJU. Well, Tony, I know you've got to head out for a sound check very soon. So I'm hoping maybe we can uh, encourage folks to head over to TonyTrishka.com. With the pandemic and everything, I know the world's starting to open up a little bit more. Are you uh, starting to book some more with the colder temperatures and playing indoors? Are you kind of holding off a little bit? or? Uh, I've I've kept very busy actually for since this past March something like that I've been out to mm-hmm. Colorado a couple of times going out to California in a few weeks I'm here in Virginia right uh, I'm doing some Christmas shows which will be indoor in, indoors in December but yeah only kind of holding off a little bit in January and February just to kind of see see I've got a few gigs but I'm not not going crazy you know trying to stay safe I'm. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah. we want to keep you going around for a long time. You know, of course, during the pandemic, I was lucky enough to catch a number of your I know your son, Sean, was running video for you as you were putting on some wonderful online concerts. Great uh-huh. musician in his own right, great drummer and more. But uh, So it was great to see the two of you collaborating in ways. Oh, yeah, it's really, there's nothing time. better. I mean, he, he did some of the technical stuff, but also he played on... Uh, a few of the things we did. He yeah. came up. The, we called it Quarantoni. I did. Yeah. Uh, I think nine of nine of those things over the over the time. And uh, um, anyway, so you know, playing with your son, nothing better. And he is a great musician, as you say. So thank you. Well, you picked up your own model there, so maybe we can coax one more to close out our visit with you. Yeah, I mean, it would only be appropriate. Since it's a banjo, to play a tune, maybe a few tunes by Earl Scruggs. And I guess I'll start with uh, a Bob Dylan tune, Nashville Skyline Rag, which Earl recorded and made safe for the banjo, as I like to say. And then a tune that Earl wrote called Ground Speed from his Foggy Mountain Banjo album, and then probably a little bit of Shuck in the Corn after that. Thank you. 
Tony Trishka, thank you so much for stopping by the stage at WTJU. Thank you, Peter. A total joy. I really appreciate it. And encourage folks to head over to TonyTrishka.com. That's T-R-I-S-C-H-K-A, TonyTrishka.com. Find out more about Tony, where he's playing, that great new album, Shall We Hope, and of course, Artist Works as well.